Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And it is the last Thursday of the month. And so this is a start your engines where it's more focused on the guys, but women, I think you're really going to enjoy this one too. Yes. I do have my daughter joining me for the first part of this podcast. Hi. At the point where this airs, we don't know if... I won't be this massive and pregnant anymore or not. We're pre-recording a bunch because, yes. frankly, um, Baby's as coming. anyone who's watching on YouTube can see, <laughs> we are on a time crunch. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're pre-recording a bunch, so we have no idea if, uh, you know, you'll have a granddaughter yet or not. But hopefully we will. Yeah. So, today, we want to talk about how to be sex positive without being creepy. Yes, because creepy is no, sex positive is yes. <laughs> and, you know, and how we can be explicit enough that we're helpful with mm-hmm. what we write about when we write about sex, because we want to be helpful without crossing the line into something which is... Like voyeuristic. Voyeuristic almost. and icky. And so we're going to be looking at a number of examples of books, some that have done this well, some that haven't, and just show you how we think it should be done. You know, consider this podcast just free advice for anyone who works in the marriage and sex realm, who speaks in it, who publishes in it. Because often the problem is that men especially, and guys, I'm not trying to insult you here, but men especially don't necessarily understand how some of the things which they don't have a problem with come across to women. Yes. And especially when we're writing about sex, we need to be super careful about that. And by the way, this is not just our personal opinion. Like, this is a whole thing that's discussed in terms of the male versus the female gaze in movies, the Mm -hmm. male versus female um, voice in writing, especially in romance and, like, fantasy novels. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is is a well-documented thing. Yeah. And so when we are writing about sex in the Christian sphere, and I mean sex advice, (laughs) what we want to make sure that we're doing is that we're being healthy and we're pointing people to something which makes them feel comfortable and empowered and excited about sex without feeling icky because icky (laughs) is the opposite of what you want yes it's not exactly the most aphrodisiac yeah and we also want to make sure that we aren't objectifying especially women although men can also be objectified obviously we want to treat everybody as if they are whole people made in the image of god (laughs) and honor them for that so to give you the classic example of a book that did this really badly which has been um just just so that you can see what we're talking about as we start this podcast and this book has been criticized massively for this and yet they left it in their new edition 2020 the 20th anniversary edition every man's battle yes and honestly we'll just read it then i have a thought i want to share okay and what we're going to read would be considered soft porn and we do want to put a little bit of a warning there we are going to be doing some excerpts in this podcast that are just a little bit erotic erotic and creepy so we're gonna ask katie who's editing this to just every time we're gonna read something especially bad she'll just put a time stamp telling you just fast forward to that time stamp if yeah. you don't want to hear it yeah because we know we have a lot of readers or listeners who have struggled with like erotica and stuff in the past and mm-hmm. so if that if you just have a particular you know just weakness or something in this area you don't need to test your strength right Okay, so this is literally the very first chapter of Every Man's Battle. It is the very, very first story of Every Man's Battle. Yeah, it's like the first page. This is what opens the book. 
Hi listeners, Editor Katie here with your content warning. I just wanted to say really quickly that there are two examples on this podcast where I'm going to be coming on and saying, hey, just feel free to skip over this section if you'd rather not listen to this explicit example. But we just want to make it clear that when you are skipping ahead, you're just skipping over the examples being read in their entirety, but you're landing in a discussion of the examples where some of the phrases that are um, weird and sexually charged and potentially pornographic are still going to be mentioned. So we just want to make it clear that, you know, if I was to come on every single time where it's like, okay, skip ahead because something weird's about to be said, I'd be coming on every two minutes, which nobody needs that while listening to this podcast. We just wanted to make that clear for those of you who might be interested in using the skip ahead timestamps. And with that being said, Sheila is about to read an explicit example from Every Man's Battle. So feel free to skip ahead one minute from this point. And Steve Arterburn is talking about a time where he caused a collision because he was watching a jogger. And he says, I never intentionally set out to be girl watching that day, but I spotted her about 200 yards ahead and to the left. She was jogging towards me. My eyes locked onto this goddess-like blonde, rivulets of sweat cascading down her tanned body as she ran at a purposeful pace. Her jogging outfit, if it could be called that, before the days of sports bras and spandex was actually a skimpy bikini. As she approached on my left, two tiny triangles of tie-dyed fabric struggled to contain her ample bosom. I can't tell you what her face looked like. Nothing above the neckline registered with me that morning. My eyes feasted on this banquet of glistening flesh as she passed on my left and they continued to follow her lithe figure as she continued jogging southbound. And then he talks about how he caused a collision. Okay, so I do want to say that when we say that a lot of times men don't seem to understand what women find acceptable versus what women find a little bit violating, Mm -hmm. we have to say here, there is a whole generation of Christian men who grew up thinking that every man's battle was a God-ordained, healthy book on sex. Yes. So if you don't really understand, like, the, the, the intricacies here... Like, there is a level where, like, the culture failed you Mm -hmm. and kind of groomed you to objectify. Because look at how he describes her. My eyes feasted on banquets of glistening flesh and struggled to contain her ample bosom. Yeah. Like, this is actually, this could be a description in soft porn. Yeah, this could be an erotic novel. But also, like, this is a woman who's jogging. Like, why don't you think about, oh, like, she's exercising. Mm-hmm. Or, like, why is that story even necessary? This man could have even said, I really struggled with lust in the past to the point that, you know, I watched a jogger and caused an accident because I couldn't keep my eyes on the road. Yeah, That's that how would have been I fine. Was. But yeah. that, and that would have been fine. But instead, what he did, and this is really important, is he invited other people into his emotional experience yeah. and then asked them to feel it with him. Yep. Yeah, so he drew a whole picture. He didn't tell the story of what happened. What he did was he, in essence, forced you to join into the story. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about here. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And especially with Every Man's Battle, you'll see this theme continuing throughout the book is that they really only address women in terms of their either their body parts or their relationship to other men. They very rarely, if ever, um, describe a woman in terms of her personality or just her personhood. And so this is major objectification. And it just seems odd that a book where the purpose is to get over lust would objectify women in, in such that a way. way. And it makes you wonder if they really understand 
how to get over lust. Or even what lust actually is. And we will leave it at that. We will. But, <laughs> so here's the question as we're approaching this, when we're looking at other Christian books writing about sex. How can you tell when what you're writing crosses a line into erotica and porn, mm -hmm. and when what you're writing is simply sex positive? Yes. And the definition that I would use is, are you using emotional language where you in, are inviting people to emotional and by emotional language i mean language that that invites people in to experience something with you sexually yeah like when you said the rivulets of sweat dripping off of her glistening body and that kind of thing like mm -hmm. that none of those are emotional words it didn't say scared happy but like it what it does is it gives you a mental picture and it, and it immerses you into the objectification of the person. Yeah. So it, it, it gives, it gives a story with such detail mm -hmm. that you are invited to experience sexually what the authors are describing. Yeah. And that's when things can get into erotica. So it's not that it, it the, the problem is not explicit language. No, not at all. <laughs> the problem is, are they asking you to participate in your mind emotionally with a sexual escapade. Yeah, could you be there in mm -hmm. the story? Mm -hmm. Like if, and that's why if, if Artiburn had just said, my lust struggle was so bad that I caused an accident because I was watching a jogger instead of the road. Mm -hmm. You can totally see the storyline of what happened and he makes the right point, but mm -hmm. you aren't invited to emotionally engage with the, with the jogger's boobs. Yeah. Yeah, and joggers boobs should be off the table. Yeah. None of us should be thinking about the joggers boobs. Okay, yeah. so here's another example, and this one's from a recent book that was just published, Married Sex by Gary Thomas and Deborah Felita. Yeah. This is from a chapter that they wrote together, so we don't know who actually wrote this. Presumably yeah. they did it together, whatever. This is real explicit, so, so Katie, why don't you <laughs> tell everybody where they can join back in if they don't want to hear it? Yeah, feel free to skip ahead about 55 seconds. So this one... I found particularly problematic. I'm going to read this. I'm just going to read it for you. Ready? Okay. Liam was reading a book in bed when his freshly showered wife, completely naked, walked seductively up to the bed and sat down between his legs, her back leaning against his chest. You can keep reading if you want, she said, but I think I'll just sit here a while. Liam doesn't even remember putting the book down, but he does remember joyfully running his hands over his wife's body and then feeling her hand reaching for him from behind. He also remembers how instantly excited he became, the feeling of his chest against her bare back, her neck and hair level with his lips, her body open to him in front, giving his hands free rein and his wife responding so quickly. They started and finished in that position when, with Liam leaning against the headboard the entire time. Ugh, I'm sorry. Okay. I just, <laughs> I just can't. And like, this is this is a passage which a lot of reviewers have picked up on saying this is really inappropriate. Yeah. Like it's it is erotica. This mm -hmm. is erotica. Here's one of the ways you can tell. Okay. <laughs> First of all, it's definitely inviting you in because it's 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 using a lot of emotional language. It's describing everything mm -hmm. from point A to point B. But also what's kind of interesting as your husband picked up on when you read it, is you're not actually sure what they're doing. I mean, you can yeah. sort of read between the lines, but if they're like, trying you to can teach figure it you, out. if they're trying to teach you a sex position to use, because this is in the, the, the chapter on chapter, positions, they haven't actually spelled it out. Well, and also like, it kind of sounds like they didn't actually have intercourse. They were just 
manually stimulating each other in a weird in like no, a new I position. Think they did. I don't know. The, this this is the point though. We are two people who write about sex for a living and we can't be 100% sure what exactly went down here. And so what's the point of the story other than to titillate and to convince you to get you in essence horny enough to be convinced that yes, this is what I want to. And interestingly, I think Gary and Deb actually knew this about this passage because here's what Gary wrote on his blog when mm-hmm. he's just when he's talking about the book when it launched. He says, "One caveat both Deb and I believe this is a book meant for married or nearly married couples. We've had a number of readers tell us it really got them in the mood. It might be the many stories we recount from others. Mm-hmm. It might just be the subject matter. But as a pastor and counselor, we don't want to cause anyone to stumble. So we don't recommend this book for singles. Here's the thing. When people read Christian books about sex, one of the reasons that they're choosing Christian books is that they don't want erotica. Like they are choosing books that can help them and can help them see sex in a great way and get excited about sex. But there's a difference between getting excited about sex and getting excited. Yes. (laughs) And that's what we need to be careful of because people this when you read an erotic passage in a book where you didn't expect there to be an erotic passage that's actually a form of violation it does it does feel very violating and and i think that this is this is why there's a difference between like for instance here's let's talk about a a, a product that we actually recommend quite a bit that is often quite a bit going to like turn turn people on in essence, mm-hmm. the intimately us app yes so mm-hmm. the Intimately Us app is when we, we've talked about it a lot, mm-hmm. where couples download it and it's kind of like a, a, a app to help you spice up your love life, Yes, right? And mm-hmm. they talk about really explicit stuff and they have like prompts to do this or that. Mm-hmm. And they use very erotic language. But here's the difference. You're, open up, you're opening up the app expecting to then be doing sexy stuff, mm-hmm. expecting to like, you know, have fun with your spouse. But also the app has all these algorithms and stuff to make sure that every single time any erotic languages use it substitutes in your spouse's name it makes it incredibly personal to mm-hmm. each of you mm-hmm. it's not like the, the app is like listen to the story about caitlin and dustin and how <laughs> hot and heavy they got when they smashed against the headboard yeah like it, it's mm-hmm. not like that at all it might be like you know have your spouse's name lean up against the headboard and do yeah. these kinds of things like watch how they mm-hmm. respond when your hands go down their body yeah like that's very different than like Listen mm-hmm. in on this person's sex life. It's like inviting you to be a voyeuristic yeah. kind of experience. And when, it, yeah, and so we have no problem getting explicit. Like no. I even created a product called Sexy Dares, where there's yeah. 25 dares you can do. They're very explicit. You read it, and I'm and there's, sure and there's, it'll get you in the mood. There's no problem with that. Yeah. But the difference is you're expecting it, and in a book you're not. But not only that, you're expecting it, but it's also once again you're not peeping in someone else's bedroom window. Mm-hmm. That's the difference as well. You're not peeping into someone else's bedroom window. That's what I have a really big problem with. Yeah. With this kind of thing is it feels like we are all getting no, like the person who's reading it, who's getting titillated, right? Who's getting aroused. You're getting aroused at someone else's sexual experience. Yes. And yes. that's what's bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. That's what seems very inappropriate because that is, in essence, just pornography or erotica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's such a thing called arousal non-concordance yep. where your body and your mind don't meet up. Like your yep. arousal level 
from one doesn't match the arousal level from the other. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when you read this, <laughs> you know, your body can start to get aroused, but your mind doesn't want to. Yeah. And by the way, that also was what happens quite frequently, just as an aside, um, during sexual assault, yeah. is that uh, because the, the fight and flight and freeze response, trauma response is so heightened, that part of your brain is so heightened, you're actually more likely in some ways, some people have, have um, have found that. have found that your body will respond physically and then you start to feel like because i became aroused i actually wanted it or i consented in some way and that's not true and that's especially oftentimes the case for male victims yeah. of sexual assault which is one of the reasons that they just don't report or because they, don't talk they feel it. like well i got an erection so yeah. i must have wanted it like i can't be assaulted but yeah. actually men can be assaulted yeah. and so we need to be aware of arousal non-concordance and as an author or a speaker because this can happen at conferences too yeah. we have a responsibility not to take people unwittingly yes. <laughs> into a sexual encounter that they did didn't want to have or were well, expecting. This is, this is the same reason why we have rating systems on movies mm -hmm. and why. Yeah. You can't just suddenly have someone watch a movie and then not warn that there's graphic sex scenes in it. Yeah. And speaking of personal stuff, and this one I really feel strongly about, and it's a really awkward one to talk about. Yeah. Okay. We need to be very careful how we speak about our spouses. Yeah. When we write books and how we speak, like that we honor our spouse. Yep. Because the thing is, when you talk about your spouse in sexual ways, you are inviting other people to look at them that way. Yeah. And um, there's no problem with talking about your sexual story. And it's, no. I've talked about my sexual story a ton. Rebecca did, we yeah. like in Great Sex Rescue, we talked about her sexual story. But what we talked about was not the physical aspect of it, but instead the emotional aspect. Yeah, like I didn't want anyone to ever be able to picture my husband. Yeah. Like, it's, ew. And that's a really good rule of thumb is that you never want to share anything that people could picture. So in The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, I tell the story of the night that our son died and um how we returned home from the hospital and how sex happened but it was completely focused on the emotion of it mm -hmm. and the intimacy of it it we i said nothing about the physical aspect of yeah. it joanna shared in the great sex rescue about um, her experience with sex after her life-threatening miscarriage yeah. and the grief that she was in but it was, again, about the emotional aspect of sex. And it's not that you can't talk about the physical aspect, but you need to do it. In, like, for instance, like if you're telling the story of how um, you had a hard time reaching orgasm yeah. when you first got married, you know, there was one Saturday where we tried everything under the sun and by everything, I mean everything and <laughs> until we finally got there and there was much rejoicing. Like that would be no problem to say. Yeah. As long as elsewhere in the book, you explain what everything is. Like assuming that elsewhere in the book, you talk about all the different ways that a woman can reach orgasm. So people do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Clinically. Or else like you send them to another resource that explains what everything is. Yeah. Kind of so it's like, it's like they don't need to know what everything is right there in the middle of your story because it's elsewhere in the book, yeah. but then you're not inviting them to pay picture anything yes so you're not saying he spent three hours on oral but no even even that <laughs> like the the equivalent of that with this like liam headboard story mm -hmm. is he spent three hours flickering his tongue specifically through these parts of my labia mm -hmm. like, like it's it's disgusting how much detail there it's just it's just not appropriate it's not appropriate i'm not about okay yourself with it. or your spouse and so or anyone no one needs to, anyway it's just yeah. it's just yeah. Like, when you want to talk about the specific aspects of sex, the specific how to make oral sex feel good, how to make a hand job feel good, how to manually stimulate mm -hmm. a woman, all these different things, you don't talk about it in terms of people's stories. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about it in terms of like generalities. Like many women find X. Here's yeah. exactly Studies what that show means. that forty two percent of women, you know, like the University of Sussex yeah. study in two thousand thirteen found that forty three percent of women really enjoy X. Why? Okay. Yeah. Like you talk about it in very clinical terms. Um and it works. Yeah. Okay, so I wanna give an example. This is an awkward example. Um from again married sex. Yeah which a number of people have commented on line already in reviews for the book, um, which people found very disturbing. This is in Gary's chapter and he writes, a woman's sexual interest tends to fluctuate according to the time of the month or her mood. I learned this early on when Lisa and I were young newlyweds. At certain times, her nipples were like super powered, high octane sexual excitement boosters. 24 hours later, if my hands reached within 10 inches of those nipples, it was like splashing cold water in her face. And first of all, the point he is making, unlike Mm -hmm. in the Jack and the Headboard one, we Mm -hmm. actually can see what point this story is telling. And it's a good point. And it's a great point. It's an important point. The idea that, you know, a woman is not a vending machine. You can't just press the buttons and get the same response every time. Mm -hmm. However... In what universe is it okay to say that about your wife? Yeah, and there's just I yeah this we're not going to harp on talk this? about because this is an actual person, but yeah. I I just feel that it's it's inappropriate to invite anyone to picture um, your, spouse your spouse's body in parts. a pornographic way. I'm yeah. sorry, that is a pornographic way. Because what you could simply say is, we learned early on our marriage that. My wife liked certain... Or you could just say, you know, we, like many couples, learned early on that what I did on Tuesday wasn't going to work on Thursday. Yeah, it was that about certain erogenous zones, you know, even especially... You could even say especially her breasts. If you wanted to get ex- like that specific, that would be you all could. right. But just this kind of emotional language Calling, is really... Like, actually, like, I'm sorry, but there's no reason to call a woman who, by the way, people know by name and can picture because they know exactly who it is. We didn't change names here. Yeah. You know, there's no reason to call her particular nipples high super-powered high-octane sexual excitement boosters. Like that is a pornographic thing. Now, I think he was trying to make a joke. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest here too. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what often happens is I think that there's um humor is difficult with yep. sex mm-hmm. because it's so easy to cross a line and I'm sure that we've done it before too. Like we're not saying like oh everyone like we're perfect here, but I'm just saying like I think that this is a really easy mistake to make and I think if you were going to make a joke about it, here's how I would do it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to make the same point, use even using the same words, okay? But make it into a joke. First of all, you don't talk about how it's you and your wife. Right. Okay. First of all, you say is, you know what, guys? We're going to talk about what gets her going. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of y'all are treating nipples like they are some super-powered, high-octane sexual excitement boosters. Mm-hmm. And you're just going right in there with the twiddling and the biting and the pinching. And the twisting. <laughs> and really, sometimes that's just going to be like a splash of cold water in her face. Because you got to do it at the right time. And you the know? right time and of the, the right month. Time. And, and so like you're using those kinds of... I think he was using that whole over-the-top, pornified kind of language to to make a joke. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do it, but it has to be separate from a person. And yep. also the joke kind of has to be not on the woman for having a body. Yeah, and here's another example, um, again, where this was a little bit iffy. <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. like this one either. Uh, so he's talking about... This is Gary again, talking about how early on in their marriage they got the opportunity to go to a hotel and this was really exciting. They had little kids at home. Um, their house was very small. It was difficult to just 
let just loose. Let loose, which is great. This is yep. totally true. We're 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 all good. Yep. Up to now. So here's what he says. This is where it starts to get problematic. I'll tell you where. Add to all this my passion to spend as much time as possible with my kids and exercise was something I used to do. But none of that mattered in the moment. It was intense. I was going to have sex with my wife in a hotel. We wouldn't have to be quiet. Lisa wouldn't have to bite a pillow. No young voice would yell out at exactly the wrong moment for a drink of water or because a shadowy monster lurked in their room. And I'm going to say the entire story I thought was said really well. Mm -hmm. It was funny. It was relatable. The only sentence was Lisa wouldn't have to bite a pillow. Yeah. Once again, we have someone's wife being objectified and and written in a way that you can picture Mm-hmm. In a pornographic way. Yeah, because he didn't say it. Like, if even if he had said, I wouldn't have to bite a pillow, that w- I'd still at have least, problems yeah. with that because I don't want to picture Gary having to bite a pillow. But at least he's the one. But at least he's doing it to himself. Yeah. To do this to your wife is really problematic, and a lot of male authors have done this. But especially since, like, it even comes after the sentence, we wouldn't have to be quiet. So what's the what's the goal of adding Lisa wouldn't yeah, have to you, bite a pillow? Yeah, you don't even need that sentence. Yeah, it's the only goal is to show... In in essence how good the sex was going to be once again making it hot for people and the goal should never to make us be to make a story hot yeah and it's just really really important that male authors male pastors male speakers do not ever use language that invites anybody to picture their wife in a sexual in way. a sexual way i think this is where we're in the whole sex positivity that's gone a bit too far because yeah. in our in our goal as the church to remove shame from sexuality we've Mm -hmm. also thrown off in cases like these we've thrown off all modesty and dignity and dignity yeah Yeah. like and it's like you don't need to be ashamed of the fact that you know sex is so good you have to bite a pillow to keep from that's awesome like good for you way to go we have an orgasm course people like Like, we're all into (laughs) orgasms we we don't care i do not care but the difference is that we still need to have privacy and modesty about these mm-hmm. things because that's how we also respect each other's dignity. Yeah. And like there comes a point when like this is something that's supposed to be private. Yeah. And the private parts are like how exactly your spouse responds sexually. Mm-hmm. Like what their body is doing, what their body looks like. Like you wouldn't want someone to see your wife's nipples or to picture her in the throes mm-hmm. of an orgasm. So why would you write about what she does in those situations? Yeah. So we just found that problematic and there's there's many other examples of that. I want to get into now... Um, how to give explicit directions well. Yeah. So because, we don't just want to critique. We want to yeah. actually do something positive here. Because again, like <laughs> we are not saying <laughs> that you cannot be explicit. In fact, we think you should. And my yes. books are full of explicit stuff. It's just, again, that we want to do it in a way that does not invite anyone into a sexual encounter. And especially does not invite anyone to picture you in a sexual way. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. So let me give you an example of someone who did it well and someone who did not. So let's just turn to Sheet Music for a minute by Kevin Lehman. Yeah, and some of you might remember this whole section from our previous podcast on this. Yes. So first of all, he calls his penis Mr. Happy. Which makes me uncomfortable. Yes. As I have said, I don't want to know what your penis is called. No, and there's no reason why I should know that Kevin Lehman calls his penis Mr. Happy, and I It feel... doesn't make me a more educated no. person in things I wanted to be educated in, I guess. Yeah. So here we go. Mr. Happy likes to be kissed. Nothing puts a smile on his face like a loving wife's oral caress. Mr. Happy. 
makes me sad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know what? This would be really easy to do to simply say, most guys really enjoy oral sex. That's all you need to say. Bam, that's it. You've said it. Like, you know, most guys really enjoy it. Let's keep going here. Here's something many women don't realize. The underside of the penis is more sensitive than the top side. That's That's fine. fine. Great. One long, luxurious lick here in the teasing phase, and your husband will be grabbing his pillow and wriggling around in delight. No. 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 No, why don't you just say, you know, you can experiment with this by, you know, using your tongue. You can, you can give explicit instructions of saying one long, luxurious lick. Like, the alliteration and the mm-hmm. whole, like, why do you have to say he's going to be squealing in delight and wriggling with his pillow or something like just just say and watch the effect it has on your spouse yeah then one of his headlines is making your wife bite the pillow so i'm not sure like if gary got that from lehman kind of it's just it's odd how it's in both but anyway well it's also very very common porn um trope okay well well, i i don't know here we go here's a particularly nice position for a man giving oral sex to his wife. Facing her feet, slide your right hand under her bottom. Your fingers are right there, waiting to do a little dance on your wife's genitalia, and your mouth has full access to her most pleasurable regions. The edges of her clitoris and the folds of the labia are all there for your fingers and tongue to work together. The whole, like, waiting to do a little dance on your wife's genitalia, that's the one that's so problematic. It's like, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Are you just going, like, are you just going to play Fiorelise mm-hmm. up there? Like, yeah. Yeah. like it's, it's like, what's going, do, 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 do. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So, like, again, like, what it, what you would say is, like, you know, giving explicit instructions, like, while you're, you know, performing oral sex you can also use manual stimulation at the same time by and then insert quite honestly a very clinical explanation of what's happening Mm -hmm. that would be perfectly fine it would actually be more explicit more educational and more direct than what he's saying here yeah like there's several points where he's talking about how to how to make your wife feel good where he calls her clitoris tender little friend Mm-hmm. instead of just clitoris you know reach around and feel the tender her tender little friend when you've got her really wanting it and you provide that soft sensual kiss you can make her start biting the pillow for fear she'll wake up the kids again that sounds a lot yeah. like it's like and, Which, and it, it's it's inviting people in emotionally and it's just not necessary yeah um, and I will say I find that Kevin Lehman's um, descriptions in sheet music are far less offensive than Gary's because I actually find that they are at least educational yeah like at least he's telling you how to do it like step by step Uh, whereas the whole liam thing again we're not even sure what it was i'm not sure what it was you just leave it feeling like you just saw someone having sex now here is his needs her needs yeah and we've had a lot of problems with this (laughs) book we've talked about a lot of the different things that we have problems this is actually something they do really well yeah, they actually seem to do this pretty they well. Have, yeah. They have a section on how to make a woman reach orgasm and how to make her feel good. Let me just read this. Once a woman decides to be aroused and they go into how she has to, her mental state has to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she's ready to receive and respond to appropriate tactile stimulation, such as the caressing of her body, especially the breasts and nipples, and stimulation of the area surrounding the clitoris. The very same stimulation given to an unreceptive woman does not arouse her sexually at all. It becomes a source of great irritation to the woman who has chosen not to be aroused. When intercourse begins, a woman needs to sustain strong stimulation to her clitoris and vaginal opening. A woman learns to create this more intensive stimulation by one, contracting her, I don't even know how to say this, pubocosaginous, whatever, muscle. It's the 
what do we call it, the PBC muscle or something, yeah. which tightens the v- vagina on the inserted penis, thrusting her pelvis rapidly and assuming a position that increases pressure on the clitoris and resistance to the penis in the vaginal opening. Yeah, like we're not thrilled by the whole thing like a woman has to decide to be able to be aroused because it kind of takes yeah. the responsibility off of him. But the whole idea of like literally describing how to make intercourse good for a woman mm-hmm. is good there. Yeah, and, and he, at least he's using clinical terms. Now, I, I think that might be a little bit too clinical. I would have been, a, and, and in our books, I actually think we did this quite well in the great sex rescue we just didn't want to read our own excerpts <laughs> it kind of seems self-congratulatory yeah it seems weird but we're just saying it's very simple to, to say things like clitoral stimulation is very important usually women like the clitoris being rubbed back and forth uh you want to approach the clitoris from the top not from the bottom because the urethra doesn't like to be touched uh-huh. like you can describe these things really well i'm gonna be honest i i when mm-hmm. i was putting together the exercises and worksheets and lessons for the orgasm course about how exactly to touch a clitoris. There are diagrams. There are very, very specific instructions. It's quite clinical and it's Mm -hmm. okay to give clinical specific instructions. In fact, there's a lot of people who, because they saved sex till marriage and they don't have like any history with porn or anything, they, a lot of people, they don't have any real education in this. And Mm -hmm. that's not like a Like, Mm -hmm. that's not something that reflects badly on you. Like, we need the specific instructions and the specific information so that you know, like, Mm -hmm. what are the different parts of the penis? Yes. You know, like, what does a woman's genitalia look like? Yes. You know, because... No problem with that. Exactly. Like, we need to actually, I think, give even more specific instructions than what we're giving. But the headboard and the jack story, or Liam and the headboard story, doesn't actually give you any more instructions. Yeah, because what you want to do is use explicit language without using emotional language. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because when you use the emotional language, it just can feel icky because people are reading your book to learn, and you can be extremely sex positive while still being clinical. In fact, if you read secular books, they are not being emotional about this stuff. Like Come As You Are, which is a very famous book by Emily Nagoski, which talks about um, a woman's orgasm and a woman's desire, does not use emotional language, but it's it's been found to be one of the most helpful books mm-hmm. for, for so many women. So it's not like you need this. It's not like this is only Christians. Like secular books actually do this quite well. It's Christian books that don't do it well, because I think we're, we're mistaking sex positivity with a total lack of modesty a total lack of modesty and 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 that's too bad so for instance in a section where gary thomas is talking about how you can give hand jobs when you're postpartum or on your period he talks about why a husband might like a hand job because a woman was saying well why he could just do it himself i mean he's more used to doing this than he is with me like he he could do it better and so gary's explaining why men actually prefer hand jobs from their wives than masturbating. masturbating here's some of the things that he says that the men really like the sound of your moans and whispers the smell of your skin or perfume the wetness between your legs brushing up against his thigh mm-hmm. your excitement as his excitement builds okay I have a rule. This is just a rule I've used for myself, but I find it works really well when I'm writing sex books. There is never a reason to say the word wetness or the word hardness. No, because you can say lubrication and you can say erection. (laughs) And when there is a more clinical word to use, you should use that more clinical word because it's not emotional. You do not need to say her wetness against his thigh. You can just say her lubrication. 
Yeah, like, it's quite simple. He can feel you becoming lubricated as you become more aroused. Yeah, or even he can feel you becoming even more wet, like uh, more lubricated, and then in brackets meaning more wet. That would be fine, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but you do not say wetness. And this is another important thing. When you are a man writing to a mixed audience, yes. you need to be super careful. Like women can get away with things writing to other women that men cannot get away with writing to women. And that's not because of sexism. It's not. It's because as a woman, mm-hmm. you are are the vulnerable person often yeah when you're talking to men about sex you know women are the ones who are entered yes and also we are in a society where women are the ones who are objectified who are leered after more often who are like the women are the ones who walk to their cars with keys between their fingers and Mm -hmm. having the their location constantly sent off to their significant other or their parents like yeah women are more women are just simply more vulnerable and so we need to be careful as a man when you're talking to women that you don't use inappropriate language Mm -hmm. And so here's just a simple test, okay? If you were in a small group setting, could you say the things that you're writing in this book? Yeah. And if you couldn't, then you're probably crossing a line. If you cannot say the things that you are writing in a book to a mixed audience, like to a mixed group of people in person, you probably should not be putting them in a book. It's just awkward and it's just wrong, okay? Yeah, like a woman could actually write something quite... You know, like if, if you were reading like Emily, if Emily Nagoski's book, for instance, mm-hmm. had really, really specific instructions in there that also were like, by the way, women, you're going to get it. It's going to mm-hmm. be good. You're mm-hmm. going to feel awesome. And she was using some more explicit neurotic language. It's a girl giving you a girl hype up talk. Yeah. It's, yeah. It actually is a very different feel. A man telling a woman, you know what? He's going to touch you in this place and it's going to feel awesome and you're going to be writhing around in the bed and you're going to not know what hits you and it's going to feel fantastic mm-hmm. is very different than the woman saying the exact same thing like you're going to go up to your husband he's going to touch you in this way and mm-hmm. you are going to have like explosions go off in your head just mm-hmm. hype yourself up it's going to feel great because it's it's like a girl girl hype up talk yeah versus a man picturing you sexually yeah and that's that's what happens is when when men use this emotional language, it feels like they are entering into your sex life. Yeah. And women do not want another man entering into their sex life. And they certainly yeah. don't want to enter into another male author's sex life. Uh, and so we just need to figure out how to be sex positive without being creepy. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is just to be more clinical. Yeah, You know, you can talk about, hey, you know what, guys, most women really enjoy the clitoris being rubbed, and you need to learn how to do that more. That's not a problem. Yeah. But saying, guys, if you want your wife to bite the pillow and to writhe and moan under your amazing caress, mm-hmm. then you need, like, no. <laughs> it's not necessary. Yeah. And so that's just our little thing, our little rule. Don't ever say anything that could allow someone to picture you. Don't ever use the word wetness if you could use the word lubrication. (laughs) And if you're telling a story, tell it in the least detail possible and make sure it has a very, very applicable and educational result. Like moral. Which means the Liam Headboard story just absolutely needs to be cut. It does. Needs to go. No purpose there. The main kind of takeaway that I get from a lot of this erotic kind of language that people use is, you know, they they might actually very well be comfortable saying these kinds of things in a mixed group setting, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they they should be. Mm Because I think that our emphasis on getting rid of shame has in essence 
it feels to me like almost the goal is to be able to get aroused with other people around and to be like super horny or like turned on or super mm-hmm. sexual around other people and feel no shame mm-hmm. because we know that God is okay with sex. And that's not actually the goal of healthy sexuality. Right. You know, the goal of healthy sexuality is not to be sexual all of the time or anywhere and feel no shame. Mm-hmm. The goal of healthy sexuality is to use our sexuality to revel in the humanness and the wonder of the person who God has given us. Yeah. Right? And, and that does mean that I don't want to be talking about arousing, like arousing things with people who are not my husband. Yeah. Like that's the way I honor him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not because I'm a prude. <laughs> yes, no, you definitely. Know? Yes, yes. You know, and, and same thing. Like, I wouldn't want my husband discussing how hot I was with his friends. Mm-hmm. Not because he should be ashamed of having a sex life, yeah. but because that's not honoring or dignifying to my personhood. And I think that's yeah, the main the, difference and yet, to me. And yet, in married sex, they actually talk about giving a hand job so well that a guy wants to brag to his friends. Yeah, and like Gary said in another comment that he was like, it was tongue in cheek. It's like, but it's not. That's yeah. not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not an okay joke to make. That like if you learn how to handle his penis well enough, he'll like it so much he'll have a hard time not bragging to his buddies about how good you are in bed. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yeah. That is antithetical to what healthy sexuality is. Yeah, and again, we love sex. We write about sex. Yeah. Love orgasm. We want every woman to have an orgasm. We want people to have lots of sex. That, that's, For Pete's that's... sake, I want you to have multiple orgasms. <laughs> culminating in a spontaneous, like, a together orgasm for yeah, all we care. Yeah, like, like, like we're all into healthy sake. sex. But there needs to be, it needs to be in its proper context. And yeah. I love one comment on my Facebook page this week was, I think Jessica... It wasn't even on that. yours. It was on, I think it was on Sarah McDougall's or else it was on the Zondervan page or something. I don't know. But somebody wrote, you know, Sheila, can I just say that after reading your blog for years and reading a bunch of your books, I am so glad that I don't know anything about your sex <laughs> life with your husband. And then my husband chimed in and said, I'm glad Me you too. don't. <laughs> I want to thank our sponsors too for this podcast, Femile, which is a wonderful women's wellness company. They sell menstrual cups, cloth pads, but also wellness teas and my favorite vaginal melts. And I've been talking about these on the blog this week. Um, They are organic vaginal melts. They're vaginal suppositories that help increase lubrication, that help with elasticity, that help with some of the problems that you can get in the vagina as your hormone levels change. So please check them out at femile.com. I will also put a link to the post talking about the changes your vagina goes through during menopause and breastfeeding and some of these other hormonal things and show you why Femile's vaginal melts can really help. All right. I brought my husband, Keith, on the podcast. Hey, everybody. It's, you know, being the last Thursday, we like to get more of a guy's perspective. And this week, we had a guy's perspective on the blog. Yes. Because you wrote an amazing post, The Four Characteristics of a Sexually Confident Man. Mm -hmm. And got lots of gushy feedback about that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, everybody. That was really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. So... What do you think? What does it mean well, to be sexually confident? Yeah, I know. Actually, you asked me to do that. I'm like, okay, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, I have, I guess, decided to write out of what I've learned, mm-hmm. right? I was afraid when I was writing this that it's going to come across as like sort of like this unattainable ideal because it's sort of what I'm aiming for. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't always been there too. The big thing for me was was probably the second point, which is about entitlement. Because mm-hmm. I think that's something that you and I have shared before was something that I had really bought into that mindset that's really... You know, in in outside and inside the church, there's a real male entitlement to sex kind yeah. of idea, uh, and I really bought into that early in our marriage, and it caused a lot of yeah. 
distress and unnecessary difficulty. So yeah, so coming out of that was good and giving a chance to say like, hey, you know, a sexually confident man does not need to feel entitled. Yeah, in fact, that's you know. the opposite of yeah. confidence. Because if you, if, if sex yeah. is about like, you need to give me this, then you're feeling, you sort of feel like, well, she wouldn't give it to me yeah. if she didn't have yeah, to. Yeah, like my, my entitlement <laughs> in our early in our marriage totally came out of insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now that I'm not insecure, I, I'm able to do that. And I just mm-hmm. want to help guys to, you know, get to that point as well too with their their wives right because if you if you're confident you know you have something to offer you know that this is not uh you know a rejection of you as -hmm. a person Mm -hmm. it's she's missing out (laughs) yeah Yeah, let's get let's figure out why she doesn't want it if she doesn't want it because you're willing to learn you're willing to get yeah and that was the first point yeah that was the first point is is because that's i thought that was where we have to start is (laughs) the whole point is you need to be able to learn because Mm -hmm. if you already think you have all the answers then you know you may you may Think you're confident, people. You may fool people into thinking you're confident, mm-hmm. but people who are confident are not afraid of new knowledge. Yes, uh, people who are confident are willing to learn and willing to grow. Yeah, because because I think one of the issues too is that guys often think they're really good at sex because sex feels good for them. Yeah, and sex is easy for them, and so I'm good at it. What's wrong with her? But a sexually confident man isn't afraid of feedback. Yeah. Or of learning. Yeah. And if she says, this isn't working for me, they don't take it as a personal thing. Yeah. It's a, oh, okay, well, then let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did we talk about in the article? The third one, I think, was about... Um, oh, she is not responsible for your sin. That yeah. Was a big that was one. the fourth one. Oh, okay. One. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, guys take responsibility for their own thought life. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I see a lot of that. The sort of the whole every man, uh, every man's battle idea of all men lust. And that was the third thing is, is a man is not ashamed of his sexuality. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, because this is the balance I find. It's a problem. It's like I see in the Christian church this mentality that we see in every man's battle where it says um, we see that the natural. Men, men got men there got naturally. Our proclivity for sexual sin, we got there naturally simply by being male. Yes. Or, or in every heart restore where it says men just don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. Yes. Like it's impossible for a man to have a Christian view of sex. Mm-hmm. Are we, are you kidding me? Like, this is a book written by Christians for Christians saying that it's impossible for men to be Christians? Like, yeah. are, are you kidding me? Yeah. So th- that was what I wanted to tackle in the second half of the article was this, this balance between all men are these horrible, disgusting, vile creatures mm-hmm. and all women have to fix their lives because men are so bad. Right. But yet men are supposed to be in charge of everything. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so is, is men, a sexually confident man doesn't feel ashamed of the fact that he's a man. And I don't right. think we should feel ashamed of the fact that we're men. No. And I think that a whole generation of men have been raised to think that finding women attractive is somehow sinful. And I just don't understand why we Mm -hmm. do that. When you notice a woman is attractive, there's, you know, that is a natural biologic thing. What your brain does with it after that is your choice. Yeah. And it's kind of like I was saying this to you earlier uh, this week, uh, referencing Mark Allen Chelsky, who you had on your... right podcast what a year ago yeah he wrote the wisdom of your heart we were talking about emotional maturity yeah Yeah. and and i love that episode and he talked about how emotional maturity is being able to enlarge that space between you when you feel something and when you act on that Mm -hmm. so like if you feel angry if, if you're emotionally mature you feel angry you punch the wall and you think that that thing made you punch the wall right Whereas a person who's emotionally mature realizes that this is a feeling and I can process it in different ways. And you expand that space to give you time to decide how you're going to process that. Yeah. So an emotionally mature person can feel anger, but then make a very different 
decision than an emotionally immature person would do. And they mm-hmm. see those things as totally different. So it's the same thing with like feelings of attraction. I mean, mm-hmm. you, that's, you, you naturally feel attracted to somebody. That's a biologic thing. You don't have control over that. But if you're sexually and emotionally healthy, you can expand that space between when that feeling strikes mm-hmm. and when you do something with it and give yourself more ability to handle it in a more mature fashion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I see an attractive woman, I don't naturally just think it oh well there's no point now i'm going to descend into lust because that's i have no other choice Mm -hmm. um that's in a very emotionally immature way of looking at that instead you say okay well what am i going to do with this uh am i going to turn my thoughts to my wife am i going to you know just move on with my day what what am i going to do right yeah and a sexually confident person knows that they are able to do that knows mm-hmm. that that their responses or, their sexuality yeah. is in their control and they're working on it if they're not good at it yeah you know because you know we're all in learning how to do things better mm-hmm. now interestingly we did get into a bit of discussion in the comment section in the blog mm-hmm. about that particular point and i thought it might be worth dwelling on a little bit more because this is such a tricky thing to talk about yeah. Yeah. it really is because yeah. because this is a big point i've been making for a long time that noticing someone is attractive is not the same thing as lusting chapters five and six in the great sex rescue were about the issues of lust and porn and how we define it in the church. And, you know, I really think that those chapters in Great Sex Rescue were actually for for men too. It wasn't just rescuing women, it was rescuing men Mm -hmm. from a lot of the lies that they've been taught. Because I think in church circles, we really do teach that, like, once you notice someone is attractive, you're now tempted to lust after them, which means you're, and and, and it's almost like there's this moving sidewalk and you can't get off of it. Yeah, and because we have this whole idea of sin leveling in the church, right? Yeah. Like even noticing the woman's attractive, you already sinned. Yeah. End of story. Right. And And so I was trying to free us from that and say like, you know, what Jesus said was looking with lust. So deliberate action combined with a deliberate mindset, that is what is sinful. But noticing someone is Mm -hmm. attractive is not a sin. It's what you do with your mind afterwards. Now, what happened was there are several women who I I think have had some major issues in their marriage with their husband's porn use and with Mm -hmm. lust problems. And so they're coming at it from that perspective. And there's been a lot of betrayal. Mm-hmm. and a lot of trauma in their marriages. And so they were pushing back saying that you really shouldn't be noticing. Yeah. Like, it, or it, I don't think they're saying you shouldn't be. I think they were saying it would be the best case scenario would be mm-hmm. even if he never noticed. Right. And I, right. I think they were arguing for different things. It doesn't really matter who was arguing yeah. what. But, but this idea, I have heard it from other people too, that if you truly love your spouse, they are your definition of beauty and you won't even notice that anyone else is attractive. And then there's some discussion of like, well, if you notice someone's attractive, doesn't that mean you're attracted to them and your body shouldn't respond to anybody else except your spouse? And it, it, got, it got really quite heated and confusing because mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot of confusion over what we mean by well, by noticing and it's a it's a difficult topic to talk mm-hmm. about i mean and to me i when i wrote the article i was kind of worried the other way like i was thinking that guys were going to feel like this was an unattainable standard for them mm-hmm. like that was kind of i was thinking that the pushback was going to come from the other direction and that's why i kind of ended the article by saying like look we're all on a journey we're all trying to get better mm-hmm. this is not a pass fail thing yeah. You know, we all want to. We all, all want to get better at controlling thought lives and things like that as well, too. Because I mm-hmm. thought the pushback was a cut from the other side, but it all came from the other side, which is that you know you shouldn't even be noticing. Yeah, or if you do notice, it shouldn't really register mm-hmm. on any sort of sexual level. Um, it should just be a piece of information. And 
I understand that when you're coming from a place of deep betrayal, but I, I do think it's important to ask like, how should we be talking about this in the wider culture? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in their marriages, it might just be really important that he just doesn't notice. And they were saying their husbands say they don't notice. And that's what they believe healing looks like. And that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying what they're saying. I don't mean to put words into any particular person's mouth. And I've had the same discussion with other people coming out of, out of porn and betrayal trauma. And some people believe you just shouldn't even notice. I actually think the science definitely shows that people notice Mm. whether someone's attractive or not. Mm -hmm. And there are certain body shapes there are certain whatever and some of that's cultural some it's not but but that noticing is not done on a conscious level mm-hmm. you know it's like it's an unconscious yeah, stimuli I, I think the thing for me in this whole lust debate which is what mm-hmm. it basically is right is you know there's this sin called lust and then there's this situation where you're being tempted to lust mm-hmm. and then there's a situation where a thought has just entered your head mm-hmm and I think sometimes we equate those three things. Yeah. So it's like, even if like the, she's attractive, comes into your head, you've already sinned because right. it's a, they're all the same thing. And I think we do need to tease that out. That there's, there's having a thought, mm-hmm. then there's feeling tempted, and then there's succumbing to temptation. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to think of those things in very different ways. Um, yeah. Because it's not fair, to, it's not appropriate to shame someone for having a thought. Because yeah. they can't, police their thoughts constantly the whole time it's what you do with your thoughts that what is what's important mm-hmm. and like i said you know it, for some people in betrayal coming out of betrayal trauma this might be important and they might feel very strongly about this and i have spoken to some women who do but i think it's very important that we don't talk about it that that's the expectation for everyone Mm. that that they simply don't notice or that they never find anyone else attractive because that's just not realistic and that actually can create their own problems like Absolutely. that's what we have found like if if you're coming out of betrayal trauma and you're raising teenagers it's really important that you don't teach your teenagers that it's wrong to notice that someone's attractive because when people feel like noticing someone's body shape is a sin they can become hypervigilant about yeah, that. Yeah, and I said this in the podcast myself before, that the only time that I've ever had lust struggles was after I read Every Man's Battle. Yeah. Because instead of having the mentality of, I want to treat women with respect, I want to, I don't want to stare, <laughs> I don't want to be rude, I don't want to yeah. be that creepy guy. Uh, and so therefore, when I notice a pretty woman, I just kind of go, okay, well, I don't want to stare or be the creepy guy or lust, so I'm going to move on with my day. Mm-hmm. You know, instead I was taught, you can't even get let, notice. And so I spent the whole day, am I noticing? Am I looking? Am I lusting? What am I doing? And then you actually focus on it. And the thing you focus on Mm -hmm. starts to rule you Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to it being something you see, you evaluate, you process, and you move on. Mm -hmm. It's a much healthier way, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, even if if you are in a particular place in your marriage where you just have to like say, it's not even right to notice... um, Please don't expect other people to do that same thing because that mentality is actually what creates a lot of our shame. Yeah, it may work really, really well for you. Yes. But it may work really, really badly for other people. And and studies do show that people do notice attraction. You know, they they do notice if someone has attractive features and attractive body. It doesn't mean that they're doing anything with that information. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just important that, that I think we do distinguish that. I also do want to say... 
You know, when you are getting over porn issues and you're in recovery, remember that male sexuality is not the problem. Mm. It's how it's been expressed and how it's been channeled. Yeah. And just... So, so the solution to having had problems in the past is not to remove a man's sexuality completely. Yeah. It's to, re- it's to redeem it. It's to redeem it and um, and to be able to focus that sexuality at their wife, but also, you know, just to be able to function in the wider world as a man. Well, yeah, but, um, or just to teach teach men a more healthier view of their own sexuality because so much of our society and even in the church frames male sexuality in terms of conquest, in terms yeah. of power, in terms of all these horrible dynamics which are not consistent with the Christian worldview, right? And that it will automatically objectify yeah, and... That yeah, that the objectification of women is what men do. Mm-hmm. Well, you can... F- no, that's not true. I mean, that's not part and parcel of male sexuality. It's something male men have been conditioned to do, mm-hmm. but it's something they can also unlearn. It's yeah. like Andrew Bauman talking about the pornographic mindset. Yeah. We can get out of a pornographic mindset. We can have a healthy view of women and healthy view of our own sexuality as men. Yeah. And so I hope we get there. I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link to Andrew's post about the pornographic style of relating because I, I like his dichotomies mm-hmm. of, of, you know, instead of devouring beauty, you know, mm-hmm. you, you appreciate and honor beauty and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's really helpful. So, yeah, a tricky thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there is so much pain out there. And I think there's pain on both sides. There's shame that men feel. There's betrayal that women feel. And it's like, how do we talk about noticing without lusting? It's, it's difficult. But mm-hmm. I think we need to keep having these conversations because we need to get to a healthy place, if that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it is. <laughs> well, and I think so because, you know, we're still learning too. And I, one of the things I really appreciated in the feedback in the comments was, you know, people saying that, uh, you know, people giving me ways of expressing this in the future that was better for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's great because we're all trying to do a better job every day. Yeah, exactly. Okay, as we end this podcast, uh, just a little bit of encouragement. I'll do a really short one. This is from Neil Shorey, who is a pastor. He left a review of The Great Sex Rescue and he was actually on the podcast just a few weeks ago. But he says, as a pastor and a victim advocate, this book resonates deeply with me in my experiences in helping couples and churches I've served. I recommend this to every pastor I know. Trust me, the women in the church are reading it and embracing it. So what will you do with it? <laughs> So pastors, that's from another pastor. What are you going to do with the Great Sex Rescue? We really hope that it will bring freedom and a new way of talking about these things in a nuanced and healthy way where we can be sex positive without being creepy (laughs) and and where we can talk about lust in a healthy way. So until next week on the Bear Marriage Podcast, I will say goodbye. Remember, there are links to all the things we've talked about in the post that goes along with this. And you can join us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com for our sexual confidence series. See you next week. 